Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hi, I'm Gail. And I'm Catherine. And we're delighted to welcome you to today's episode of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Our signature is featuring women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who lead lives that illustrate inspiring ways to learn, contribute, and make a difference as we age. The 30-minute conversation with our guest will focus on several themes that we've agreed upon in advance. So, Peggy Kianjin, we are so happy to welcome you here today. And Peggy lives in uh, Portland, Oregon, and so does Carla Klinger, who was our episode number four guest. And we met Peggy through the Holiday Park newsletter in the senior living high-rise that, that Carla Klinger lives in. So you never know how we're going to meet people. Peggy is 75. She lives in West Lynn, Oregon, actually, and she loves adventure. For a woman who graduated college with a degree in biological science and zoology, we can't help but wonder how is it that she spent the majority of her career in market research with a short stint as sales director for magazine networks and finally as field director for Better Homes and Gardens magazine. Growing up in the 50s in Denver, Colorado, Peggy Kianjin never expected her life and her career to be so multifaceted. So Peggy, uh, tell us how one's career can take so many paths. Well, having been raised in the 50s, I was brought up to marry well, um, give very good dinner parties, and raise very nice children. <laughs> and that was that was the expectations. So I was appalled when I was grad, realized I was graduating from college and I had to get a job. Um, and it, I took the civil service exam and was offered the job of being the first woman food and drug inspector for the Western United States uh, at the time. This would be around 1965. And I found out that meant pushing bags of beans around in a boxcar looking for mice and decided that was not my career path. So I happened to see an ad in the paper, in the Denver paper, looking for young college-educated women who like to travel. Uh, very mysterious. And I interviewed and was hired by one of the largest consumer manufacturers in the country to be a member of their secret flying squad, marketing research flying squad. And so for two years... Um, 50 weeks out of the year, I was on the road and never knew where I would be assigned next, never knew if I would be alone or with someone else. It was full expense account, um, highly top secret work because we were interviewing consumers about their products. Um, and I was in um, areas of cities that I would not drive through now in, a, in an armored tank, and I was up <laughs> talking to people about their detergent. And I was in very wealthy areas, um, loved the, the traveling life. I spent about a week or two in each city. I, I lived in the, uh, the French Quarter of New Orleans for two weeks. I, I was out on ranches in Oklahoma talking to farm wives about making pie crust with pig fat. And it was just, mm. it was a fascinating two years. 
But I realized after two years that I was getting a bit jaded when uh, I was flying in, into New York City at a, a beautiful sunset, and all I could think of was, I wonder if I can get a cab. And <laughs> so I, I decided that the only place as interesting as being on the road was New York. So I moved to New York and was able to find a good job in marketing research as a, an assistant field director for a really large marketing research company. And stayed there for two years. Um, that was that was a very interesting time to be in New York during the '60s. Um, and I wore marches. I saw Janis Joplin. I saw Tina Turner when she was with Ike. Uh, went up to the Apollo Theater in Harlem on the back of a motorcycle. Um, went through Europe by myself as a young businesswoman, and it was it was an exciting five years. But I realized that I was not a New Yorker. Oh, how old were you then? I was in my twenties, um, early early and mid twenties. Okay. And it was just it was an exciting time to be a single in New York. So much going on, but uh, my roommate used to try to explain plots of TV programs to me because she thought I rode a pony to school because I grew up in Denver. <laughs> and you know, no, I, I actually you know lived in a house with you know driveways and things, and <laughs> and. Also, I, it, she was DAR, Daughters of American Revolution, and to her, it was very important who your family was, what your grandfather did and your great-grandfather and so forth. And I realized in Denver, everybody's from somewhere else and nobody cares. And so one of the most important things was realizing that who you are by being with people that you are not. And um, eventually, after five years, I was offered a job in Chicago, and I thought, well, I'll let them move me to Chicago, and then I'll, after a few years, I'll, I'll go on out to the West Coast, and I ended up being in Chicago for 15 years, so, <laughs> um, so much for that, and I loved Chicago. It was, it was a wonderful city, and, and my career um, did very, very well. I, I was director of field operations for a, a very large marketing research company, and got elected to the board of directors of the Marketing Research Association, which is the professional association of, of my industry. Um, and I, little brag time coming here. I, I won two president's awards, one for producing a film and one for producing a training manual. Um, and, and this, well, I had, to learn, <laughs> I had to learn how to make speeches before 500 people, which was absolutely terrifying. But... I taught myself, and so it was just a matter of um, my original plan was to be the mom in the Dick and Jane storybooks that I grew up with. That was my only plan, <laughs> and I think it, it actually worked to my advantage to say, well, I'll do this until I can become the mom to Dick and Jane and Puff and, and the kitty. You know, I'll just, <laughs> I'll just, I have to pay the rent, so I'll try this. And the other thing was that I'm a, I'm a very, you wouldn't believe it because I love that you called me adventurous. I'm extremely cautious by nature. And I decided when I was 18 that I would have a very, very boring life if I kept on overthinking everything. So I decided at that age that I never wanted to regret something that I did not do. And that has pushed me my entire life to do things that um, <laughs> I can give you 10,000 reasons not to do. <laughs> but but that I did I kind of I follow Georgia O'Keeffe's um, motto which is I love that she said this because if you look at her you'd never believe her saying that 
She was terrified every moment of her life, but she never let it keep her from doing something that she wanted to do. Yes. Isn't that a lovely philosophy? It is. It is for sure. Yeah. So that's kind of the zigzag that I've been taking it. And, and so I stayed in Chicago for 15 years and um, married and then eventually divorced and married again. Um, stayed on the board, uh, was on lots of committees, gave speeches, gave seminars, um, lived down on Rush Street in the nightclub area. Um, so it, none of it was planned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was a matter of an opportunity. In fact, whenever someone gave me an opportunity of a new job or a move, I hated it. It was like, oh, please don't offer me that. <laughs> I, I, I hate change. And then I would remember my motto. I don't want to regret something. It, you know, you can. there's very few things you can't undo. So why don't you try it? And that's kind of led to this popping around <laughs> of my life. I think when we were talking, you, you mentioned that living independently seems to affect a woman's personal life. And what did you mean by that? Or am I even quoting you correctly? No, absolutely. Um, I came from a family where we were encouraged to take care of ourselves. Um, you, you know, my, my mother had her interests, my father had his, my, my siblings did, and we were encouraged to be responsible for ourselves. So um, being independent, um, making all my own decisions has really been a great relief to me because I, I have not been in the habit of asking anybody if I should do something. <laughs> I think the the great eye opener for me, as far as a total change in attitude, was when I was in New York and I was watching a television program. Uh, I think they were interviewing Gloria Steinem, and the, at this time the feminists were called bra burners. We all looked down on them. And someone asked her, "What is it that feminists want?" And she said, "We want three things. We want abortion on demand. We want I think the other one was was childcare." And she said, equal pay for equal work. And it was like that proverbial light bulb going on above your head like it does in the cartoons. Mm-hmm. I thought, what a concept <laughs> to be paid the same as a man for doing the same work. <laughs> and, and my life entirely changed in that moment. Mm-hmm. And, and you can't go back. Once you realize that that should be... By the way, did I, t- I don't know if I mentioned, but I marched in the very first feminist march down Fifth Avenue with Gloria Steinem and Bella Abzug. <laughs> Good for mention. you. No, you didn't. I did. Yes, I was working on Madison Avenue at the time. My, my life at the time was very much like Peggy and Mad Men, if you're a Mad Men fan. Mm. And it was only a block away. And I, yes, I'm very proud of the fact that I marched in the very first feminist march. So that... That um, encouraged my independence, um, self-confidence in, yes, I, I sh- you know, mm-hmm. I do a good job. I should be paid for that. I should be able to, to do what I want and not have to contend with all the, all the Me Too's. And believe me, the Me Too's in the 60s and 70s were, there are so many things that I have told my daughter. And there are many things I have not told my daughter about, about those years. So living independently for me has been very freeing because... I simply decide for myself what I think I should do. Mm-hmm. Yes. And do you think that has affected relationships with others through the years? Oh, absolutely. How? Well, it's difficult for those who come from large, close families 
to understand that I, I don't have that. And so they're used to running decisions past um, spouses, parents, siblings, whatever. They're used to making sort of a, a group decision about things. And I simply don't talk things over with people. Um, I decide on my own. It, it hasn't really necessarily been very good for marriage. Um, <laughs> I wondered about that. <laughs> yes, well, I, I was married. I, I was, I'm a very slow learner. I married two only sons who were attorneys. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> and that's, um, attorneys are trained in, in, in arguing. And so that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, being independent, one, and being confident in your own appearances um, it's very hard for especially women who were not raised that way to understand uh, how I can have such strong opinions on my own and not rely on the opinions of friends, media, whatever. Um, yeah, it, it does drive a wedge. It's it's hard to be understood. I have to find women who have had experiences similar to mine in order to really have a comfortable conversation. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell us a little bit about your uh, job as field director for Better Homes and Gardens. It sounded very interesting, some of the things that you mentioned you had to do in that job. Well, that was a, that was a complete turnaround. Um, after I had been in Chicago for 30 years, and I was married, and I had a, a toddler, um, my husband was offered a job in in Portland, and he had gone to Reed, so he knew it well. And my first husband, ironically, had been from Portland, and I loved it. So I agreed to give up my corporate career of 20 years to move to Portland. And once here, I, I did a it was an, a business in consulting, basically, in marketing research. I was still traveling. I had been traveling on business for 50 years, and, and I really enjoyed it. And a friend of mine was a field editor for Better Homes and Gardens. She was moving away, and she said, would you like to try to take this over? And having a degree in zoology botany, I thought, well, that sounds fun. <laughs> so, so I met her photographer and um, learned how to do scouting. And the editors were sort of aghast because there, there were a number of field editors around the country um, who – discovered stories, did scouting, put together a presentation, sent it into the editors, and then if it was accepted for publication, then we came back and did a professional photography. I did all the styling, all the interviews. I did everything but write the final the final article. And um, I, I gave it a try, and it was so different from corporate marketing research. I just loved it. I met the nicest people, um, gardeners especially. Uh, Portland has absolutely beautiful gardens. We have a wonderful climate here. Everything grows. Um, you almost need a, a, machete, a machete to keep things cut back. And it didn't matter. I could be in the the most beautiful mansion in Portland. And if, if the woman was a gardener, she was down on her knees telling me about her favorite plant. Um, and I did lots of remodeling and interior stories. I was on the board of directors of interior design associations, um, remodelers councils. I, I would climb in the truck with the remodeling contractors, and we'd go out and look at the new bathroom we just done. And, <laughs> and I, was, I would take pictures and interview the homeowner and put together a presentation. And at the time, Better Homes and Gardens had actually 75 magazines. There was... Better Homes and Gardens, Traditional Home, Country Home, 
all these special interest publications on gardening and remodeling and cooking and, and everything, plus books. Hmm. So I was published in, in many of them. I did, I did well over 100 articles. Um, garden shoots, this is for your listeners who love to take pictures in their garden. We would start our garden shoots no later than 6 o'clock in the morning and be done by 9 because the sun after that does not do a favor to your flowers. So if you want to take pictures of your garden, be out there at sunrise or late in the afternoon. And I styled all of I styled all of the shoots. If we were doing, a, it usually took me an hour to set up one shot. And then the the professional photographer would take all the pictures. And um, I didn't I did not write the final article, which led to a lot of very funny situations because the person who wrote the article was not here. <laughs> So how long did you stay in that job? Was that your final final? It uh... was. I, I did that for about ten years, and then I retired in two thousand and eight because of the recession. They closed down a lot of the magazines, and uh, it was very hard physical work. When I had a garden shoot, I would take two carloads of plants with me because you could not have dirt show in a garden shoot. Dirt shows black, so I would I would haul tons of plants over to pop into a. A garden when we were taking the shot. In fact, I was not above stopping at the grocery store and buying an armload of cut flowers and jabbing them into the ground <laughs> just to fill just to fill a, yeah, a blank spot in the in the garden. Um, and then, so I retired about two thousand and eight. So to, tell us now a little bit about what your life has been like. Uh, in I think you've you've said it's not really retirement, but since you retired from the the travel and the full time work. What is uh, occupying your time and your interests? Well, that that's touches on the area that most interests me now, and I call it phase three. Um, it took me a while to figure out what it was that I needed at this age. Mm -hmm. And I, I went to a lot of senior groups, a lot of book groups, this kind of thing, and it just it, it wasn't it. And I walked into, I walked into a, a lecture on Mendelssohn, of all things, on a Sunday afternoon, of a group I'd never heard of called called Osher Lifelong Learning Institute. And I and I walked in and I thought I thought, well here they are. Here's my people. And they were. And we're still together ten years later, those of us who are left. Um, and we do the great courses DVDs. Um, we, we're just finishing up now the history of the Supreme Court. We meet once a week. We have discussions um, uh, we've stayed good friends, and so there were two things I, I found that I needed this time of my life. One is I need to keep learning things, and it was, it was Einstein who said, he said, you know, I have no natural talents except a passionate curiosity, mm -hmm. and I thought, well, that, 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 that fits, um, and the other is I need to be useful, so I am, I'm still on uh, the board of the Senior Studies Institute, which is part of Portland Community College. Um, I write a newspaper column. Um, I'm emeritus on Abby's Closet, which gives away 2,000 prom gowns a year. Uh, I'm on committees. Uh, I took summer school at Oxford, which was w wonderful. Um, so those are the two things I have found at this time in my life. I need to, to feel that this is just as much of an adventure as the previous 
phases what, were. What is the Senior Studies Institute? What is That's one of the largest all-volunteer-run organizations in the country. It's part of Portland Community College. Uh, we have 350 members uh, all around the Portland area and eight different locations. We have current events groups that meet once a week in all eight locations, and boy, those are lively. Mm. Um, we have play reading. We have 42 lectures a, a term, everything from um, crows to political events to homeless to, which, by the way, for Portland is a very timely mm -hmm. <laughs> subject. Um, I, and I'm the, um, what we call the engagement director or the PR director. So uh, it's an opportunity for people who are retired to meet new friends and also get intellectual stimulation. And um, it, it's, it's a very interesting group, very, very varied, all sorts of professions, and those who did not have a profession. But the interesting thing is that no one cares who you were mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, that's different from the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute? Yes. I, that, we lost our grant. Um, ten years, well, about 10 years ago, we lost our grant here in Portland because uh, we were located in a, in a place that wasn't convenient for people to drive to. And we were so determined as a group to stay together that we um, met at various senior locations and finally found Holiday Park Plaza, where some of our members had moved. And that was a good fit. So that's uh -huh. where we go. Mm -hmm. Is do, that, you, do you oh, live at Holiday Park Plaza? No, I don't. I'm, I, I realized at age 75 that uh, I, I'm going to have to think ahead and, and plan on being someplace safe when I'm 80. Mm -hmm. So I have a I have a deposit at Holiday Park. Uh, I love the people there. They're from all over the world. There's ex ambassadors. There's lots of ex professors. There's there's um, retired <laughs> retired therapists. They're the most interesting group of people. And that was another thing I discovered. I don't really care if I live in a in a one room apartment. I must be with interesting people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this part of my life is, has been just as much of a discovery as the previous ones were. Um, I think our age group, we have been the pioneers. We were the pioneers back in the 70s of women having careers, of women getting equal pay, of women not putting up with the Me Too's. We were really the ones who forged the path. And I, my, daughter, my daughter has said, when I've told her some of my story, she said, well, I wouldn't put up with that. And I said, well, back in the 70s, you did. <laughs> um, so we're still the pioneers. We're the pioneers. You're the pioneers. You two are, are pioneers by saying, we're in our 70s. We're women. We've had interesting lives. Now, what should we do with them? <laughs> and I, I love that. And uh, tell us a little bit about Abby's organization. The, the Oh, Abby's Closet. Yes. Um, Close family friends of ours, uh, the daughter was going to college, and she had a pink prom gown that she just loved. Um, she couldn't see giving it to Goodwill, so her mother, Sally, um, was an executive at Nike and, and very much of a doer. And she said, well, let me call around and see if there's a, an organization that gives away prom gowns. Well, we couldn't find one, so she started one. This was, I think this is our 15th year. Um, and we just started off with a, a dress drive in our suburb. Um, they collected prom gowns from girls that were going to college. And we didn't know if anybody would show up. And 300 girls showed up oh, on a rainy day. <laughs> it's, it's one weekend just before prom season starts. And we now give away 
2,000 prom gowns in one weekend, mm. free, to high school girls. Wow. And it is, it, it's beautifully managed. A lot of former Nike people, so boy, they know how to organize. Um, and, and the girls come in and we, they have free, they get free accessories. We have hairstylists there. Yeah. We have, um, uh, raffles and it, it takes them, they start showing up, um, the night before they wait outside in the cold on an April rainy day. We let them in about six o'clock in the morning. Mm. <laughs> it takes them about an hour or two to get through and they walk away. If you could see these girls, many of them, because we have a lot of foster foster girls. We have um, School from the Blind get, has a special day where they come in. We have children with Down syndrome come in. They drive in from um, 200 miles away. We have churches that bring busloads of oh girls um, for this. Oh, it's it's the most. If you saw these young women put on a $500 prom gown with beading mm -hmm. and for the first time in their life they they think well i am pretty uh -huh. it's the most wonderful thing so i we just do that one weekend a year and i'm i'm, I'm kind of the greeter i'm at the i'm at the forefront i can't give it up you you must be blessed with fairly good health it sounds like uh, i am although i'm i'm only three weeks out from a hip replacement and it has humbled me um, I have never slowed down for anything, and this has humbled me. So um, I bless my handicap tag. Oh my! <laughs> Do you? How, how are you thinking about now? I know you're you're on the waiting list for the Holiday Park Senior Living Facility, but how how um, how do you think about aging in the decades to come? Do you have you given it any real thought? Oh, I've given it a tremendous amount of thought. Um, this is one of the difficulties in being extremely independent. Um, when I move into a place like that, I'm, it's going to be group living, and that's going to be very hard for me because I'm not used to that. On the other hand, if I'm with people that I like and find enjoyable, and this, this place has a pool, and they go to the symphony, they go to the theater, they, they have lecturers. It's a very, very active group of people. Um, so I think I'll be very happy there. I, it's accepting the fact that um, in my 80s, I will need to be someplace safe and someplace I won't be able to do what, I, what I've always been able to do. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try. Yes, yes. And, and uh, you were telling us some other things about how you think about women as they get older in terms of of their concerns around invisibility and and that sort of thing what what uh, do you want to say some more about that oh absolutely I, I belong to an online Facebook group called uh, elder orphans which is for men and women who basically don't have anyone else in their life and it is it's the most supportive group it, it's international I think um, Someone will, will post something. I did a whole newspaper column on it, which I can forward to you. Please, please uh, do. Yeah, it, it's some of the comments where people will say, I'm just feeling lonely today. I don't have anyone to talk to. Uh, and you will have 50 responses saying, we're here, we're here for you. We're, we're, we're sitting with you. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it, invisibility makes me angry because I don't like, I don't like watching if I'm at Costco and I watch the, the 
cashier chatting up the pretty young thing ahead of me. And then when I get there, he looks over my shoulder. Excuse me. Hello, I'm here. May I have some? May I have some eye contact, please? I know I'm not a pretty young thing, but please, I'm, I'm a person. I'm a person, right? I'm a person, yeah. And it is it is difficult. I'm I'm reading a book called uh, Mastering Offline Dating, which you would think would be for younger people, but it it's full of suggestions for meeting people and making contact with people and communicating with people in this age of, of media only, you know, phone, phone to your nose kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, Who's the author of that book? Uh, Camille Virginia. Okay. It's, it's, it's on Amazon. Um, I'll give you the link later if you like. Um, but it's, you have to put yourself out there and you have to make contact yourself with people um, just even a smile, um, a compliment. Um, I was waiting out in front of my house last Sunday for my, my New York Times and my Oregonian to arrive, and it was, it was raining and it was cold and he was late. And he finally drove up, and, and I said, oh, there you are. And he said, oh, I'm sorry I got held up. And I said, that's okay. And I said, thank you for coming out in this weather. And he looked so stunned <laughs> that I had said thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> So we have to make the effort to say, oh, and, and just one other thing. I took my lesson from many, many, many years ago. I was in Austria. Uh, in a, I think I was in Salzburg. And a woman strode by. She was dressed in lederhosen, and she was in her 60s easily with rosy red cheeks and a walking stick. And she, she walked into the same restaurant where I was, and she said, Grüß Gott, you know, which was like, hello. <laughs> and I thought, that's who I want to be. Mm-hmm. That's who I want to be when I'm older. I want to walk in with rosy cheeks and a big smile and say, Kuros Gott. And that's, so that's kind of been my, that's kind of been my, um, oh, ideal, I guess, over all these years is to be happy and be enthusiastic. I think if we look pleased with our lives, we don't intimidate people. And I will tell you, as being, when you're divorced, you are not the same as a widow. You are not you are not seen the same as a widow. How are you seen? Um, you're, you're seen as a predator. <laughs> I, I've often joked that I, someday I'm going to make a T-shirt that says, I don't want to take him home. <laughs> because um, I, I love the company of men. I like to talk to them. I like their wit. I, 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 do, I like sitting next to them. But I I don't want to take one home. Um, you know, you've heard the old saying about after age 50, a man wants a nurse with a purse. Well, that, that is very, very true in, in many cases. I read a survey recently that said that 65% of single women over the age of, of um, 50 do not want to remarry. Mm-hmm. It's because we, we finally have our independence. <laughs> we finally do not have other people who are relying upon us to make them happy, we we can make ourselves happy. Yeah. So, right. uh, yeah, that and, and for sure. yeah, and it's very freeing. We can create it's, a podcast. <laughs> we, yes, just like you two are doing, which I so admire. I'm so delighted that you're, you're doing this. Oh, I will spread you. the word. Thank you so much, Peggy. Well, we are so happy to have had you today on Women Over Seventy: Aging Reimagined, and we look forward to further conversations with you. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Peggy. <laughs> and listeners, we want to hear from you. Please connect with us on Facebook at Women Over 70 
ask questions, start or add to the conversations, suggest topics you'd like to hear more about. Invite your friends, family, and colleagues to join in. We welcome conversations across the generations. You can access our weekly Wednesday podcast at womenover70.com. And if you know a woman over 70 who would be a great guest, please recommend her to us on our website. And thanks to the School of Continuing and Professional Studies at DePaul University for use of their recording space. See you next week on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myth that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.